0: reading from 1 John, uh, the fourth chapter, I'm reading from the English Standard Version, uh, and we'll read the whole of the chapter, 1 John, chapter 4. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of truth, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was manifest among us. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Amen. A reading of God's word. We're looking at 1 John chapter 4 and uh, have looked at it occasionally. I know it's been taught in our Sunday school class as well, uh, but I've been looking at occasionally uh, with you all as I filled in here. And 1 first John is, uh, of course, the book by the Apostle John, who wrote the fourth gospel, the gospel of John. John is known as uh, the beloved apostle or the disciple whom Jesus loved. And this book, first John, is a book that really focuses on love and has a good bit on love. It also has a good bit on tests, tests of who is in the faith, tests of who is and who is not uh, of God. So uh, a book about love and a book about testing. I'm going to reverse those this morning as we look at the first six verses and it really focuses on tests and, and true tests and, and testing spirits and uh, who teach about the person of Christ. And the second section will take from verse seven to the end of the chapter and really focus in more on love there and consider uh, love in uh, the evidence that we are loved, love in the propitiation we know of in Christ, a love that casts out a fear. And also his command that we love one another. So it's so really two sections here, a little bit simple. Uh, tests and love. So uh, I'm, I'm saving you one point already. A uh, verse of three you normally get. So we'll just just go with two this morning. Um, first John, chapter four, verses one through six. He says uh, and begins here, beloved, showing his love toward us. If you kind of look through a John's letter, you, you see if you only read just like the first section of each paragraph. You're going to see we're we're very loved by him. And and he calls us here uh, beloved and uh, addresses us that way. Do not believe every spirit. He moves uh, right in after a love and and how we are beloved to speaking of tests and how uh, we're to test the spirits. And uh, he first says, do not believe every spirit. He says it in the negative first. Do not believe every spirit. So it kind of starts off a little bit negative here. Uh, do not believe every spirit. It sounds a little bit different than uh, what we're taught by uh, the passage Paul teaches on love in first Corinthians 13, that we're to believe all things. And of course, Paul is speaking of a different thing there when he says believe all things. We're, we're to believe all things, in other words, we're to believe the best. Of others and to put others before ourselves. It's really more about love in the second point there. Uh, Whereas here he's talking about testing and knowing what the truth is when he says, Do not believe every spirit. So it starts off a little bit negative. Do not believe every spirit. But then flips it around. But positively, test the spirits to see whether they are from God. So, negative side, do not believe every spirit positively, but test the spirits to see. Uh, if they are from God. So it's kind of flip sides of the same coin there. The negative side, do not believe every spirit, positive side, but test all the spirits uh, in, the, in the positive sense to see whether they are from God. So we're, we're to listen, but we're to test. So listen, uh, but test. Uh, perhaps uh, like the Bereans who were praised because they uh, tested what they were taught to see if it lined up with the word of God, they question even the uh, teachings of the apostles and uh, and they were praised for that. Uh, the noble Bereans. And uh, so we're to be on guard when we're listening, when we're hearing, uh, to be on guard to what we hear, uh, to listen. We're not to believe everything we hear. Everything here is is not to be believed. Uh, you are to test what you hear and, and what you hear spoken of. There are a lot of teachings out there and a lot of them are false. A lot of them are false. We have to, uh, to test them and, and what we hear teach. So a lot of people going door to door out there and a lot of them are promoting the cults. So, so we have to test everything we hear. We have to test everything we see uh, and not believe every one of them. Uh, notice how he says uh, in the next phrase for many false prophets have gone out into the world. It'd be nice if there were just a few of these. It'd be nice if like it's a small majority of those out there are, are those who have false teachings or just a you know a random one here or there, but he says, but many uh, false prophets have gone out. So so it's not just that there's a, a few out there. You have to figure out who those are, and we can tell you their names and, and tell you their groups. It's it's there are many out there uh, who are teaching and and who are false, uh, saying what is is not true. You may have heard someone said uh, that they they went to church and 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 heard this or were taught that, and it really Turn them off to to Christianity or organized religion. And uh, and and, and usually they weren't hearing what the apostle said at the very beginning. He said there are many false prophets who will be out there teaching you wrong things. So it shouldn't be a surprise or shock to you if you come along and hear someone who's taught the wrong thing or perhaps earlier in your life. You heard someone or, or heard someone from a pulpit even or or on the TV or somewhere else teaching false things. Uh, don't let that turn you away from the Lord Jesus Christ. He's told us right here in his word. There will be much of that. Many false teachers will be out there. So it shouldn't be a surprise to us. It shouldn't catch us off guard who believe and to hold this Bible because he's told us right here in the beginning as he laid down the scriptures. Many false prophets have gone out into the world. So uh, so we're to test them. Well, well, how are we to test them? How are you to test them? They've gone out in the world. He says, by this you will know the spirit of God. We, we have to test these things spiritually. And we have to test these things through, through what we've been given. We have been given the Holy Spirit who, uh, who can, can lead us into these truths. And, and these tests are spiritual tests. Uh, with many false preachers out there, what, what are we going to test? Well, I can think of at least six things God's given us to help, to help test what we hear and, and, and what is taught to us. God has promised to in, in us to us in James chapter one verse five to give us wisdom, if we need wisdom to know what is true. Uh, God is the one who can give us wisdom to know and to test these things. So, so God Himself will provide that wisdom to us, and we can know uh, what is right and and what is wrong. But secondly, God has given us His Holy Spirit, who will guide us into all truth. He has said, and so we know that uh, we can get wisdom from God, and we also have as Christians inside of us. The Holy Spirit of God who can give us truth. The scriptures also teach us that he gives us a spirit of discernment. That implies in and of itself we, we've got to test things. If you've got discernment, you can know right from wrong. Well, how do you do that? You have to test things. Why do you have to test things? Because there's right things out there and there's wrong things out there. So God is, gives, gives us wisdom. He gives us his Holy Spirit. And he gives us discernment to know and to, and to see what is right from wrong. Well, fourthly, I can think that God gives us ministers and elders, leaders in the church, who can teach and who can tell us what is right from wrong. Uh, and, uh, and we can go to them and, and we can ask. And uh, I remember uh, in the last session meeting, one of the items on the docket was Elder Rensenhouse asking for wisdom. And, and you can do the same thing. I sought the elders for wisdom, and, and I often do, or, or our pastors and our ministers. If you wonder if something's right or wrong, don't Google it. I mean, ask your minister, ask your elders, Christians, Uh, ask them uh, if if that teaching is is correct or right or wrong. Uh, Fourthly, fifthly, God gives us the church. The church has has looked at these things. The church has established its secondary standards that that explain and lay out to us what we understand to be in our confessions and in our catechisms. What is is right from wrong? Uh, Of course, uh, we know that uh, from our standards themselves, that councils may err. So so this is not an infallible standard, Uh, but we can seek and we can ask the presbytery. We can petition the presbytery. We can petition the general assembly. The presbyteries can petition the general assembly. It's got to go in order, everything decently in order with us. Uh, But but we can ask the church at large uh, what what is it and what is done about this and and what is true here. Uh, But sixthly, I think. uh, we, we have to say and I would be wrong if I didn't say our only infallible rule of faith and practice is the Word of God. We go here. This is the final authority, Christian. You come here. If it doesn't line up with this, uh, it didn't pass the test. As we test the spirits, we seek in our secondary standards point to this and say, the only infallible rule of practice of faith and practice is the Word of God. Pastor Boyd had to spend years studying before he came to see us and likes to quote his homiletics professor, which is uh, how to study the Bible. Uh, That context, context, context is the rule of the exegete. The one who's studying, the one who's teaching the scripture. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say in its context? When you lay scripture next to scripture, what does it clearly and plainly teach? And we use this to test the spirits. It doesn't line up with this. It's out. It's out. We, uh, we have to test everything with ease. We have to test uh, every teacher with ease. You need to test me with ease. My Sunday school class. Uh, you listening this morning. We need to test Reverend Hurd tonight when he teaches. Is he teaching according to this? We need to even test Pastor Boyd when he teaches. Is he teaching according to this? We test the spirits. And we're noble like the Bereans. And we see, does, what, does, what is he saying? And does this line up with, with God's word? And what God says infallibly here. This we trust and know it can stand on everything else we test, we test. So we're commanded to uh, not believe every spirit. We're commanded to test the spirits to see if they are of God. And in verse two, he says, by this, you know, the spirit of God, every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. So he points us now and turns us now to our Lord and Savior. And says, first of all, that every spirit who confesses that he came in the flesh. So notice that he, that he came from somewhere. Uh, you came from somewhere this morning. Some of you came from somewhere long, far away to get here. And, and uh, we're glad you've come to see uh, your mothers or maybe your children, maybe your mothers of children. Uh, but but you came from somewhere. You didn't start here. You came from somewhere else. And that Jesus came from somewhere speaks of his preexistence. That he did not uh, begin and initiate uh, at his incarnation in Bethlehem. But he was forever existing in heaven before as, as God from all of eternity. He was there at creation and uh, he came uh, to be here. He came as as God and came here to be man. And uh, so he came from somewhere. He came from God. His divinity is taught by scriptures and he was pointed to or referred to in this verse. He came from heaven and uh, to earth uh, to be among us. And and what also did he come? He has come in the flesh. He's come in the flesh. He's not just God and somewhere far off, but he really is man. He really is a person. He really was a human in history that came and lived and breathed and uh, uh, not as much in our own day. But in that in that day, the Gnostic heresy was was very strong. And and perhaps this letter was written combating that they denied that he really came and was a real man. They thought that uh, that flesh and human things were evil innately and that therefore he could not have come and been a person and taken on human form. But we do have those today uh, in this uh, liberal uh, thinking day or a a day where, where everything is denied. And if you can't touch it and you can't see it, you don't believe in it. And some uh, some doubt, you know, that he really was here, that he really did the miracles that that history sh- says and shows and, and our word of God says and teaches to us. But he did come in the flesh and was a real man, as this passage teaches, and became incarnate as a babe in the manger. I had a real mother, Mary, who birthed him and, and brought him uh, to us in an earthly sense uh, and father of the Holy Spirit and came to be our propitiation, uh, which we'll move forward to in eight verses. Uh, But won't take up quite yet. Verse three talks about uh, how to fail the test. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. So those who are failing the test are those who oppose these things, that Jesus is God, that Jesus is man, that we can believe and know what he is and who he is. These are Antichrists. And uh, they were opposing the personal works of Christ. We know they were coming. The word us that. And we know they have come. And we see them that they're in the world already. Uh, they were never, ever very far away. Not in the beginning of the church. And in this uh, digital age, uh, they're closer than ever. Closer than ever. On our TV. On our phones. Uh, any, anywhere you can click. And turn something on. Uh, they may be there. They may be there closer than ever. If you're on a screen and can click on it, you better test it. You better test it. And if it sounds funny, you better run it through the six filters we talked about earlier. Or, or take the shortcut. Just ask Pastor Boyd. Just ask your elders. You know, if, if, you're, if, you're, if you're wondering. And it seems unusual. It seems unusual. Uh, I remember in my, in my own days hearing unusual teachings at college. And going back and asking my pastor. And him saying, It really, it actually went against the confession of the Apostles' Creed that we just read. And and hearing those things taught against, you know, line by line almost. And hearing, hey, don't we in every Sunday in worship say these things? You know, this sounds funny to me. And my pastor said, Jim, that should sound funny to you because it's wrong. Because it's wrong. And and you'll hear these things. And and especially as you head toward college, you'll probably hear these things. uh, and, And may hear them challenged. And especially in your religion classes in college. Uh, you may hear these things because the Bible has told you there are many false teachers out there and you've got to test the spirits, test the spirits to see if they're of God. Well, verse four continues. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Uh, and may sound like a old a chorus you've heard, and uh, I will do you the favor and won't sing it to you. Uh, but greater is He that is in me. Greater is He that is in me. Greater is He that is in me than He that is in the world. And and we know that that, uh, that God gives us the strength and the power to pass these tests, to overcome them. As we hear these things and, and they come our way, uh, we can uh, we can face them with with confidence and not fear. Even though there are many of them, even though they're everywhere, uh, God in us is greater than these. His truth is is more powerful. His word. Is, is clear and more powerful and, uh, and and we can be thankful for that. You know if catching and detecting these truths and, and, and determining these tests were up to you and up to me in our strength we, we would have no hope. but it's not but it's not. We have God on our side and we can face confidence in these. We can take confidence even even as scripture says in our weaknesses, for when we are weak, he is strong, and he can give us the strength. Um, even it starts out in in this verse, uh, little children, you are from God, and and he's speaking to adults there, but he's calling them little children. Little children, uh, we we can we can rest and we can be strong uh, because we are compared to God, little children, and and he holds us and he protects us. And he keeps us and greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. So we uh, we can trust in him and look to him to help us. Verse five, they are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world and the world listens to them. So they're from the world. It's not really anything new coming from them. They're just teaching what the world says. The world says these things and they pass them on and uh, they shouldn't disturb us because they are not from God. They're not from on high. They're not all powerful. They're not true and they're not lasting forever. They are they are uh, from the world and uh, they uh, need not shake us because verse six. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of. Of error. Now, we are from God. He's speaking of himself there, not not we here, but but we, the apostles. So we we are from God. His word, that is what he teaches. That is what he has written here is from God. This is from God. And we can therefore uh, put our trust and our confidence in it. What they teach is from God. Uh, we know that what they say is true. We know when we listen to what the Apostle John is writing here, that it is true and we can count on it because it is from God. It is from God. We can test against that test and, and know that it's true. Did you hear something new lately? Did you hear something new on the, on the Internet? Did you hear something new on, on TV? Well, uh, it isn't from God. God. God has written us what we need to know spiritually. And it's in here. It's, it's in the book. Now, this is the test. It's from the spirit of truth. It's got to line up with scripture. He's the one who's given us the truth. The spirit of error, that's everything that doesn't line up with scripture. So it's a, it's a clear dividing line. And the dividing line is here. Spirit of truth, spirit of error. If it matches the word, we can count on it. And it's true. So we have a test. And we know there's false teaching out there. And so it doesn't need to surprise us. The apostle told us it was coming. It is out there. It is coming. But we can stand on this. We can stand on this truth. The other religions, they have a source of truth. They've got their added authorities. Their figures who are infallible. Their books who are infallible, they think. They teach. Books of Mormon. You know, popes. uh, Korans. Ancient teachings that have been there since the beginning. I mean, the Egyptians had it. The Greeks had it. The Romans had it. and it's come on to us. They've got all these things in, in these teachings they think were handed down from on high. If they don't line up with what God has given us in his word, we don't need to uh, consider it because we can test the spirits. Christian, you can test the spirits. You can use these six tests I've talking about. Now, you don't do it with Pride. You don't do it infallibly. It's it's with humility. We humbly look at these false teachings. Uh, We do it with godly care with with the pastors and elders God has given us. And and we we do it not haughtily, but but with modesty. Is that is that what the Bible teaches? Is that what this word says? Uh, But but we can do it as Christians, because greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. We can uh, we can go through these tests. And we can sort out truth from error. And we've got to do it. And We've got to do it. And now we move on to the second point. Love. Love from God. Love from God. Uh, 1 John 4, 7 through 21. And we're going to speak about evidence that we're loved. We're going to speak about the propitiation of Jesus Christ, which shows us we're loved. We're going to speak about how love casts out fear. And finally, uh, the commandment he gives to us. That we love one another. So... Uh, Verse 7 and 8. I don't know why it is, but this uh, section just seems to be rich with songs. You guys remember the old chorus, some of you older like me. Uh, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. Everyone who loveth is born of God and knoweth God. Uh, it ends even with a verse in it. Uh, 1 John 4, 7 and 8. So uh, so anyhow, we got these songs all through this, and, and we've hit the second one, and uh, there's three more coming, so, so hang on. Uh, but but just seems like this. Is, I, you know, I think he's so poetic and he talks about love so much that, that people like to make these into songs. Uh, so uh, anyhow, the original audience is addressed here again, and he calls them beloved. It's warm. It's warm. He's going to say some hard things, but also some encouraging things. He first gives out a challenge. Let us love one another. We're exhorted to mutual love and uh, but we're given a great motivation for this because love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and, and knows God. So our love for one another is evidence that we are from God and that we're born again. We, we can know that if we, if we have love for one another and uh, if we love each other, we, we can be encouraged uh, that we. Love because we know then we've been born of God and we know God. Verse eight says anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Remember that song? Any of you remember Steve Green, hide them in your heart uh, videos? G.O.D. is L.O.V.E. So anyhow, you may have uh, heard that when you were younger or played it when you were older to your younger ones. So uh, because God is love. And and uh he said earlier in this book that God is light and him is no darkness at all. Uh and we see different things that, that God is called in scriptures, but but one of the great and 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 often repeated themes is that, that God is love. And uh um, we love because he first loved us, but he he is love. He is love. And uh, we're going to meditate and chew on that a, a little bit more, but uh, he, is, he is called love. You and you and I might be, well, maybe you, might be called loving. <laughs> well, hopefully I could be at times. But we might be called loving, but I don't think anyone is going to say, you know, Jim is love. You know, it's, it's just not, it's not going to happen. But the apostle here says infallibly about God, our Heavenly Father, God is love. Love and um, so this is this is the apostle whom Jesus loved. So the beloved apostle and, and he writes much about love and we're going to read several points about this and keep discussing it. But but it's, it's because God, our heavenly father, is love. God is love. And uh, it should it should encourage us and, and help us uh, warmly think about loving others. Uh, that God is love. So we are we are to love others because we know God and, and the saved by the God who loves them will will love others uh, as well. Verse eight, who does not love, does not know God because God is love uh, is the flip side of that. And and, you know, spoken of it in the negative negative. and verse nine uh, goes on to talk about how he showed it to us most perfectly. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Sounds a lot like John 3, doesn't it? One of our most commonly repeated verses. So God has God has made his love known to us in that he has sent his son into the world. We see some or some out there who seem to think that, well, Jesus did this thing on his own and then has to like plead with God, the father to forgive us. And, uh, and that is not, friends, what the Bible is teaching. The Bible is teaching that, that God sent his son into the world. So this was, not, this was not a reluctant father who has to be appealed to by Jesus. God, the Heavenly Father, is in on this. And indeed, it's his idea and it indeed it's him who, who sent Christ into the world. It's not, it's not the angry father and the loving son who, who comes to our side in the spirit who defends us as our advocate. It is it is God, the father, God, the son, God, the spirit bringing this about our triune God are together on this There is not a division in the Trinity. God, the father sent the son to uh, the world and notice it said God, the father sent his only son. Only son. This is a a special son. This is a special son. Now, not that any of you children are special if you're from a larger family or not special, (coughs) which, of of course, you are. I remember uh, having one child and uh, my wife being pregnant with Joanna, my second, and being a little bit afraid because I loved James so much, I, I didn't think. I could love the others as much, but but you know, I, it seemed like I do, at least to me. So 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 so. But imagine I, I did only have one, or, or some of you who, who only have one, and that's it, and that's it. And and God the Father only has one Son, and He sent Him, and He sent Him. God the Father sent His. Only son. Only got one begotten son. It's it's a specialness that the only one got sent to us. And it wasn't any surprise to him. He sent him. He sent him. It wasn't like a surprise he got crucified to God. God God sent him uh, for this purpose. uh, That we might live through him. God sent him for that purpose. In verse 9. Now, verse 10, I mentioned to you a little bit of foreshadowing earlier that eight verses from now, we would look at this subject and and I think it is a climax of this text. Verse 10, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. All right, fourth song. This one isn't a uh, such a spiritual song. <laughs> this is a, a pop song, but but you know you know so many songs out there on the radio are talking about love, you know. And uh, when I was uh, young, <laughs> there was a song by a, a band called Foreigner, and uh, it said, and I'm not going to sing this either for your favor, but I want to know what love is. I want you to show me. And there's this this hunger that God has given us. To know love. And and the poets and the songwriters sing about it. And they sang that great song. I want to know what love is. I want you to show me. And God did it. And God did it. Verse 10. In this is love. You want to know what love is. You You want Him to show you. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. So, so if I wrote the song, I might write it that way. I want to know what love is. I want you to show me. But God wrote it this way. I I want you to know what love is. I'm going to show you. And here it is. I'm going to give you a picture of it. It's my son. You see, we go out there with what? what is what's in it for me. And God goes after it with. Here's what I'm going to give to you. I'm going to show you. You want to know what love is? I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you. And this is love. Not that we have loved God. He didn't. He didn't look down through the quarters of time and see that we would choose him. You know, and, and so send His son to save us. God. God. Didn't get loved by us first. But sent his son. There's the sent again. The father sent sent in nine, sent in ten. He sent him. He sent him. God, the father was in this. God, the father had this idea. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Anybody use that word, word at work this week? <laughs> propitiation. It's not as common in our day as it was in theirs. Uh, the idea of propitiation is, is, is a, something that is given sacrificially to appease wrath. And uh, it's not so common, so we're going to spend some time thinking about propitiation a little bit together, if you don't mind. So uh, when I was younger also, I, I really enjoyed a, a section of books written by Martin Lloyd-Jones who uh, spoke for, I think, five years on Friday nights preaching through the Gospel of Romans verse by verse. And uh, he quotes John Owen on propitiation in his section on Romans 325, which has that has that verse. But uh, John Owen said propitiation involves four things, four things. Propitiation requires there to be an offended party. Propitiation requires that there be an offense Propitiation requires that there be an offender, and propitiation requires a sacrifice. So, first, offended party. That's God. God is the offended party in this. God is is filled with wrath at our sin and needs to be propitiated. The scriptures say God is angry with the wicked every day. And some some don't think that God really is a God of wrath and a God of anger, but the scriptures teach otherwise. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones points out in in that sermon that the Old Testament has 20 different words used for the wrath of God, and they're used in the Old Testament 580 times. Well, some would like to turn that on its head liberal scholars, maybe since the 1840s, and say, well, in that Old Testament we had the God of wrath, but in the New Testament we've got this God of love. And of course you and I know there's no division in God. In the New Testament, the wrath of God is spoken of again and again, and some of the longest and most frequent speakings of it are by the Lord Jesus Christ. As he speaks of his wrath. In the Gospels, Matthew's Gospel has a Three parables about it and, and speaks of, of the wrath and the judgment of God uh, again and again. John's gospel, the gospel of love, has a parable of rich man and Lazarus discussing the wrath of God and how horrible it is and, and longing for even a drop of water to be placed on their tongue to to avoid that that punishment that, he, that he's facing in hell. And the acts of the apostles, we see the wrath of God spoken about and judgment spoken about as uh, the, uh, was preached about in the Acropolis by Paul, he speaks about the judgment of God that is coming. Of course, the judgment of God is where the wrath is going to be meted out on some and his love and mercy is going to be shown to others. Uh, Right after that, we have Romans. Romans has 10 sections on the wrath of God, including including 325, speaking about propitiation. I just spoke about to you. Uh, We see it here in first John in Revelation from the beginning of it to the end of it. We see the wrath and the judgment of God that will come about on all of us. So, we have a God who is a God of wrath. And he's offended and he's angry. So, we need a propitiation. We have an offense. Secondly, there's an offended party. That's God. We have an offense. That is our sin. Our sin has caused the offense. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The offense is our sin. Do you know your sin? Many of you young people, like me, were raised by godly mothers and fathers who carried you to church from your youngest day. We prayed that you might never know a day of, of being separated from that God. But you do need to know that we understand and know and need you have an offense against God and have sin. And when we baptize you, we say in the first question to your parents do you acknowledge that although our children are conceived and born in sin and therefore are subject to condemnation, they are holy in Christ by virtue of the covenant grace and as children of the covenant be baptized. So we are baptizing you. We are bringing you into visible church. But even as we say that, our words in that act speak of your sin and your condemnation before God and that you need a savior. Even even you covenant children who may not have known that the great wonders, you may not have been involved in. In the murder that the Apostle was involved in uh, before uh, as he stood by and watched Stephen stoning. You may not have had some of those great departures that, that the world would look at as great. But in your heart is great wickedness and offense before God. And you have an offense in your life. Even even you youngest among us. Do you know your sin? Do you know your sin? Do you know your hopelessness without Christ? Our righteousness, the Bible says, is as filthy rags. rags. Our best is like filthy rags. Whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. We're told in the New Testament. So we have an offended party and we have an offense. Well, thirdly, we have an offender. The offender is us. We are conceived in sin. We are born corrupt and depraved. We naturally hate God. We naturally desire what displeases Him and what pleases us. Even though He taught us to pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done. In our own hearts we set up ourselves as an idol and pray, My kingdom come, My will be done. And we want what is ours and what is not our will. We are angry about The scriptures say every desire of our flesh is only evil continually. Do you see and do you know you have sin? And you see and know that you are an offender against God. But fourthly, we have a sacrifice. We have a sacrifice. The Lord Jesus Christ has come. He has been sent by God and he has come also willingly. And this love of God has been shown to us and that God has sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins against a wrathful and angry God, against a God who sees our sins ever before him, against a God who knows our rebellion, that we are his enemies. He has provided the sacrifice and the sacrifice is his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the wrath can be removed because he can remove it. And because he offers himself up willingly as a sacrifice for our sins upon the cross. And we who are his enemies and deserve his judgment and his wrath forever can repent and believe on him and be moved into his kingdom as his children and his sons by faith. Knowing him as our Lord and Savior, our sins can be forgiven. We have a propitiation. There's an offended party. There's an offense. There's an offender. But there's a sacrifice. There's a sacrifice. Jesus Christ. He continues in verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. So you see, uh, we're getting caught here. When you were his enemy, when he chose to love you, when I was his enemy and when I chose to love, when he chose to love me, how, how worthy was I to be loved? How pleasing was I to him? How pleasing were you to him? Did you deserve to be loved? Well. In the same way, beloved, if God so loved us that way. So we ought to love one another. So we ought to love one another. Our love should be godlike. It doesn't start with the object of our love deserving it. We initiate it. It's not tit for tat like this world's love. We don't love you because you can give me something. God didn't love us because he was a needy God. God chose to love us. God chose to love us. His love initiated it. He was first. He started it. And even so, we ought to love one another. We ought to love one another. Verse 12. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. What he's saying here is that our love is visible evidence to others. That God exists and God is real. If God is abiding in us, we love others, and people can know and see that Christianity is true because they see our love. We don't love selfishly, we love sacrificially, we love in an initiating way. We don't look for something we can get. We love the way God's love loves. And verse 14. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Here, here again is the Apostle speaking uh, to the truth point. He can say these things because He's seen them. He can say these things because He can testify about them. And He's eyewitness, but He's also an eyewitness that has been recorded in history. They have seen the Father sent the Son. And they've seen the Son die on the cross for our sins. They can see His eyewitness. We have seen, and we're now telling you, we're testifying to you, and they've written to us in these scriptures, these things are true. And so we can count on them uh, with this written testimony given to us. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God abides in him and he in God. Verse 16, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is Love there again, verse 16, verse eight and verse 16. Who is God? God is love. This 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 is really tied up in who God is. He he is love. Couldn't be said about us is said about him. And that's what he's like. God is like this. God gives his love without expecting things in return. God gives his love without it being deserved. God starts his love before anything good has been done toward him. And whoever abides in God, abides in love, abides in God, and God abides in him. You know how I can know and see and we can know and see if we're Christians, if we love that way. Oh, there's just no way. We can't do this. But greater is he who is in me than he that is in the world. He does it through us. Through His Spirit, through His Spirit, He gives us the strength to do this. He gives us the strength to do this. He is abiding in us. He is living in us. Who abides in you? The Holy Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit of God can give you that love for others that comes even when they're unlovely. Even when they don't show you love. Even when they don't tell you love. Even when you don't feel loved by them. You can love them. Because God, the Holy Spirit, the third person, of the Godhead, the third person, of the Trinity is abiding in us and living in us so we can do it. So we can do it. He does it through us. He does it through us. We can do it through him. Now, fear. Verse 17 and 18. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. God's love can help us overcome our fear with confidence. We can we can sit from a position of strength because we're loved by God. We have the love of God in us. We have the love of his Holy Spirit working through us. So we don't have to fear judgment day. We don't have to fear where we'll be because we have Jesus Christ's sacrifice. The great wrath remover, the great propitiation is on our side and we don't have to fear uh, that judgment day. We can trust God. The opposite of fear or worry is trust, but also love. And perfect love drives out that fear. How is it? He gives us the strength to start. To start. We can start in love. We can can choose to do something to love that neighbor, that loved one. He, He gives us the strength to do that. Verse 17, by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. Verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear for fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. The answer to fear is to trust in God. The solution to fear that we can't love others is God it's love he has given to us and his spirit living inside of us as we abide with him can give us the strength to love others in a way that this world cannot know and does not have the power to do. He is in us. Greater is he who is in us. And so we can start trusting. We can stop fearing and start trusting and we can do the next thing knowing that God loves us and he is love. And he is love. Verse 19. We love because he first loved us. Love goes first. Love goes first. We don't wait around to be loved. We don't wait around for somebody else in this congregation to love us. We don't wait around for somebody else in our family to love us. We don't wait around for somebody else at work to love us. Verse 20, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. God loved us as enemies. Imagine, imagine the person right now you are most offended with. Some of, some of you aren't doing that yet. All right, imagine the person with me. Right now, who is the hardest for you to love? Who is the hardest for you to love? Now, are they worse off than you were without Christ? Do you think God can love them? Do you think that God can love them? See, God is saying here, if anyone says, I love God... You know who God is? The Creator. You know that person who's hard for you to love? You know whose image is stamped on that person? That is a man or a woman, a boy or a girl who is made in the image of God. Who you say you love. Who you say you love. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother made in the image of God. With God's image stamped on him. He is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. You can see the people around here. They have... I know it's sinful. I know it's fallen. It's still got the image of God stamped on them. God has stamped the image on the people we are around with. The people we work with every day. The people we live with in our home. The people who are in our neighborhood. The people... Uh, We might not like in the other political party, whichever one that is. They have the image of God on them. We can't say we love God and hate those people who are made in the image of God. We're a liar if we do. We're a liar if we do. When it says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. How do you talk about them? How do you think about them? That person, that hard-loved person you're you're thinking about. How do you feel about them? Whose image do they bear? Turn to me to James chapter 3 verses 9 and 10. James chapter 3 verses 9 and 10. <laughs> We'll bring this to a close. (laughs) He's talking here about how we speak and how we act toward those who uh, are hard. He's talking about our tongue and how we use our tongue. Verse 9, James 3, 9. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. With your same mouth, you're worshiping God this morning. With your same mouth, you're praising God this morning. With your same mouth, you're giving glory to God this morning. That same mouth can't be used to curse other people. If you love God, if you love God, he finishes with verse 21. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Most of you are probably too old to remember this old camp song. (laughs) And we pray that our unity may one day be restored. And they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. Let's pray.